and you've been also big into like memorization. Yeah, and that was more of like, I wanted to learn how to count cards just to see if I could. And so <laughs> Bible quizzing on weekdays, counting yeah. cards on yeah. weekends. And so like I seriously have had three or four Vegas trips paid for just from counting cards while while there. Yeah. I found out about that one this morning. I didn't know about that. I was like, what? Okay, welcome to another episode of Efficient by Design podcast. Uh, excited about our guests today. Um, my co-host, as usual, or oftentimes, is Mark Watt here. Um, and our guest today is Desmond Say, right? That's correct. And uh, so he is AKA uh, the siding guy. So Mark actually knows Desmond, um, has known Desmond much longer than I have. So why don't you give a little yeah, yeah. backstory for that connection? It's kind of crazy when you look at the time, like when we met back at, what was Camp Caroline? Yep. That's like well over 10 years to think that we've actually known each other. For, yeah, you didn't even have kids. I had no kids. Yeah. We've got a nine-year-old. Your kids were super young. So that would have been like 12 years ago or something we met back then. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I was running this camp out in Alberta and... um and then Desmond and his family came out. I think it was first for like a work weekend. And then you guys kept coming out for these other weekends. There's that the Rook weekend where you just like, they play cards our weekend yeah. and they raise money for kids to get to camps and stuff like that. And uh, that was kind of it. It was like early days. It was just hanging out, raiding kitchen till like two in the morning. And, you know, like that's the thing with Des, like the guy's metabolism is insane. You look like <laughs> this, but he stays up till two o'clock in the morning. And we'd go to the kitchen and you'd get like chicken strips and bacon, wrap them up, pour cheese over the whole thing. And he could just <laughs> go and go. And it was like nonstop. And every single night, it yep. was like every night we'd be out there. And since I had the keys to everything, it was like, well, let's go into the freezer. Let's see what there is. And well, you were yeah. always down. Anyone who follows him on social media, like your story, how often is you eating poutines? Well, yesterday like I had to try your... Poutine in Summerland. <laughs> I saw that. Uh, I don't even good. know where that is. Is it good? That was at Gigi's. Yeah, okay. it, it was good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, My kids like that. It's salty yeah. though, so I was thirsty all night. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so then skip ahead. You guys have been in touch, kind of. Yeah, I'd say on. We lived on in Edmonton, tree. so I, I ended up moving into Edmonton. We stayed connected, you know, throughout the years. And then when I got involved with Acrobus, um, it just you know, you, your friends start kind of finding out about it. John Dennis, who's a guy you used to frame with, yeah. found out that we were involved. I think I may have told him about it because you'd said something about how you knew. I found out you knew each other. And then, uh, yeah, and then I guess one thing led to another. You're close. Yeah. John's one of your closest friends. So then John's like, you got to check out Acrobus. And That yeah. was your first introduction to Acrobus was through John? Yes. Okay. And because I had been using a Cooney's tool belt. Mm -hmm. um, guess how long? That this $50 Coonies. 10 years? Close. It was like nine and a half years. Yeah. I, and it was still in perfect condition yeah. just because of my personality type. Yeah. I keep and things. The kind of nature of the work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I keep things nice. And, but then stuff was falling out all the time. And so I basically yeah. found you on Instagram. Yeah. And I think you were fairly new at that time. And yeah. I just binge watched all your videos. Yeah. Well, you called me because you weren't even on Instagram. You're like, I got to get on Instagram just to see all these videos. And then as soon as you got in, because of your personality, you got into Instagram and you're like, what is this world? But you didn't yeah. see it as like, a, oh, I could sit and scroll cool, funny videos. You saw it as like, 
the metrics. This is interesting. Like yeah. if I post and then these people check it out and then, you know. But you weren't posting much at the beginning. It was just no, for no. communications and stuff. It, with it was literally just to watch your videos. Like I actually had an Instagram account probably four years ago and it was a result of walking through the airport. Air Canada was like, post a picture and win a mm. vacation. So I literally at the airport signed up for Instagram took a picture of my family with this sign and then posted it and it just that that was it yeah and and it sat dead for years so when how long ago was it that you reached out to me and kind of watched all my content that a bit four? more than 4 years ago because your the tool belt i bought from you landed while i was on christmas break and it was sitting in my mailbox and i could not open it because i was out of town right. so it okay. was it okay, was so, christmas time so for, for the kind of snapshot last four and a bit years you went from no social media basically just over four years ago till now i know you hate this but legitimate influencer <laughs> 100 almost hundred eighty thousand followers um and your your content has been fantastic and following exploded um so to kind of let's go way back because you are a very intriguing individual with how you're wired, the things that you've done. Um, so why don't we go way back? I'm, I'm curious about a handful of things. We'll kind of ju jump through these somewhat quick. Um, first of all, did you have any post-secondary education? Yes, I have a bachelor degree of Christian studies. Okay. No way. Okay. I didn't know that. And then no other tickets or certifications beyond that? That's the your primary secondary education? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then... We've, we, so we visited last night a bunch and uh, has spoken a fair bit over the years here. But in regards to uh, career, uh, siding wasn't something that you really set out to do or were passionate about. How did you get into that? Well, uh, with my degree, I actually was a pastor for a number of years. Okay. And then I took a break and it was... a basically just the means of want, wanting to provide a living. So I worked retail for about mm -hmm. a year in relation to another hobby, aquariums. Right. And then after that, I had a friend that was out of work and he's like, do you want to help my sister's or fix my sister's rental property? So I renovated a bathroom with him. And I didn't even own any tools. It was all his tools. And then his sister liked what we did in the bathroom and said, do you want to put siding on the front of our rental house? So we, mm -hmm. that's how I kind of got into siding was we got a pamphlet, read through the manual on how to do it. And we're yeah. like, we can do this. And yeah. so we did it. Yeah. Okay. So then um, kind of beforehand, I was curious to we got into some of this stuff. What are some of your your personal interests and hobbies that you've geeked out on over your years, like from when you were, say, in like high school and stuff, like what is, there's a few that I've become aware of, but I kind of know if there's some missing ones. The ones I've, I know a little bit was like RC car racing, foosball, memorization stuff, and some other ones we'll talk about later. But is, is there, are there other ones in there yeah, as well? Yeah, so like I said, I worked retail. So aquariums was one of them. So okay. very, like my wife and I were like, let's get an aquarium. We're early married, no kids, you know, so we got an aquarium and I, Doug head first, did all the research, and in very short... Time out. Did you have a passion for aquariums or for fish? Um, we liked scuba diving, so we like traveling. My wife and I, okay. we love traveling. We travel lots. Okay. And so we're like, oh, you know. So is this the underwater habitat was the kind of appeal of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then like, my mind 
just geeks out on stuff, like you said. Yeah. And in a very short time, I actually became an industry expert. I designed uh, hmm. basically aquarium filters and, and sold it to stores, hmm. like making it in my garage. And awesome. I farmed corals and shipped it all over Canada and, and in a very short time became an industry expert in that area yeah. um, and well-known. And my, my tank is still posted on like American forums and Canadian <laughs> forums. And, and I know you know nothing of this. We've never how, do you, how do you know that? Maybe I've researched. <laughs> I don't have a clue. What I love about you, man, is that like there's zero option of doing something 50, 80, 90, 99%. It's like everything you do, it's always 110. Like yeah. there's nothing there's in no, the middle. There's no, well, Dustin used to say this. So there's, there's no half ass about this. It's full ass. <laughs> Doesn't insane. Yeah. Full yeah. ass. Um, okay. And I mentioned RC cars. We talked about it a little bit last night because my son and I are dabbling with it, you know, for our own recreation nothing serious but then you're like oh yeah i was into rc cars now to the degree you were into rc cars was pretty substantial yeah and the amount that you tinkered and fussed with these things so give us a quick snapshot of that world so in rc car racing there's certain regulations and there's a minimum weight and of course ideally anything that's lighter will travel travel faster with less energy okay right and so i worried about every single gram even to the half gram so i would get my car weight down well below your legal weight and then use weights to strategically to put it where you want so the oh, car handles smart. better. So things like that and and taking a part that has been molded or cast and dremeling fins in for better heat dissipation and thinking like these engineers, why didn't they figure this out? And I'm in junior high doing it for them. Right. So that's crazy. And then was that, so that was kind of through like middle and high school? Well, my brother and I raced in junior and junior high and high school. And we were, we were pretty much the only kids at the track. My parents gave okay. us free reign. We got a ride to the track and, and we were surrounded by adults. So adults would okay. help us through stuff. Okay. And then foosball, when did that kind of, cause you got really into that. And that was from college. I liked playing foosball, just, you know, pulling around. Yep. And then later I was having wings at a pub in mm -hmm. Edmonton and saw these people playing foosball. And I was very intrigued at what they were doing. And so I just sat there and watched and they said, oh, hey, we have a league. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to come? So I just went by myself and learned how to play. And then I think that first year I went to Vegas to play in Worlds just for fun to <laughs> enter at like he's like hey do you want to go oh, go to awesome. Worlds I'm like sure and how so, did you do oh terrible but uh, okay. but I've been able to since then partner with World Champion and like travel to Portland twice and win some stuff with with like World Champion so no, it was great. pretty fun like See, I thought and, I was good at foosball until I played oh, against you and yeah. I was like this isn't yeah. even I didn't know there were, even was that level yeah. of like oh, man. control yeah. within the game. Yeah. And yeah, it's, well, it's it's funny with with some of those disciplines. Like my my brother, his son is in hockey, and and, and his little league, you know, he does pretty good. And you were involved yeah. in hockey a lot, you know. It's it's incredible. Like with depending who you're surrounded by and what their interests are and their abilities, you kind of have this hierarchy of like, okay, here's the good players, here's the really good players, here's like the next level, and then you hit like you know the professional mm -hmm. professional playing level, and it's so far above and beyond. Mm -hmm. You know, like how you know for for myself and 
and some of their family members who have like been into sports in the past. We were like from small towns, we're like a great athlete yeah. in our small town. And you go to the bigger city, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm mediocre, average, kind of. <laughs> and then you get the, the best players, you know, coming out from big cities to like the really, really big centers, the trout for, you know, university teams and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not very good at all, actually. Like it's, it's unreal. So those, those moments where you realize, you know, how far somebody can take something is, is fascinating. Um, well, this is really fun. Is there anything else? That, uh, um, well, I don't Kandama. know about. Well, oh, I, I right. introduced him to Kandama through the camp because we just started getting them in. <laughs> yeah. There's this one kid that was super into it, so we just ordered them. And they went like hot Explain cakes. what this uh, is first. Some people so are, yeah, Kandama is like a Japanese like hand-eye toy. But it's basically, it's a, it's a ball on a string with three cups and a spike in the center. Yeah, or, yeah three cups because there's the two cups on the side and one, and on one the in the bottom. And they all change sizes. There's a big one, so it's easier to get. And then it gets a little smaller and then even smaller. And, uh, but the guys at the camp were, were legitimately good. Yes. There was like Hayden, you remember Hayden? Yeah. Anyways, they, they could like flip it and like spike it like yeah. consistent. They'd be walking down the hallway and like spike. Go if you haven't spike. seen this before, go on YouTube and look at certain Kandama, um, videos of people doing yeah. tricks. It's bonkers. It's crazy. wild. And it's super fun. Like, my, I love it. I have, you, you picked a, yeah. the one up at my house today. You're like, Kandama, yeah. I haven't seen this Well, well yeah. my son got really good at it in a, in a short time, just in the past couple of yeah. years. And so, well, so did you. I remember you coming back, you came to camp, then a few months later you come back and you were like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I'm like, geez, everything yeah. he does. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and then I know we touched on in, in the past, we spoke about this a bit, but then you've been also big into like memorization. Um, so there's like full books and, yeah. and passages that you've, you've memorized. And yeah. Stuff and and that was more of like little clubs or organization i joined in high school like in grade 12 i was in this bible quizzing club where we were we had to memorize books of the bible and there's other That's stuff amazing. like rubik's cube i'd research it figure out how to do it and then mm -hmm. now i don't remember i've learned stuff like i wanted to learn how to count cards just to see if i could and so <laughs> bible quizzing on weekdays counting yeah. cards on yeah. weekends and so like i seriously have had three or four vegas trips paid for just Counting cards. Counting cards while while there. Yeah. I found out about that one this morning. I didn't know That's about so that. Funny. I was like, what? Yeah. So it's funny because Des and I have a lot of similarities. And then through talking st through stuff like this, I'm like, we are so different. <laughs> I don't have any of that craziness. And then what are you working on right now? You said, I didn't know that your wife didn't even know for like, what, weeks, months that you were actually working on being left-handed all of a sudden? Yeah. Well, partly because <laughs> uh, I was telling you my dad has dementia and right. it's it's... To the stage now where he doesn't even recognize my mom mm. and when i visit it's very sad because he's reverted back to his his native language which is chinese which i don't understand and so i can't even communicate with my dad now and his mom had wow. it as well and so you know i've posted a bit here and there like all oh, trying to do stuff with your non-dominant hand but like in the past few months i've strictly try to do everything um, left-handed. And the only sticking point, like I'm writing left-handed full-time now, I'm eating left-handed, chopsticks, I'm proficient left-handed. Uh, the only thing is uh, I need a left-handed tool belt. Yeah, I know. I've got some in the shop <laughs> no. here. Look at that. <laughs> Seriously? Is, yeah. Is, no, uh, totally. yeah, yeah. You know, like I am prepared to have the black thumb on my... Mm -hmm. Right, right so, end, yeah. you know, like, and it'll give me an appreciation of people learning things too. Cause I forget where you and I have, 
you know, 20 plus years of experience doing something and deep down inside, you might judge someone who's just starting out like, oh, like that's so easy. Mm. But yeah. once you start doing something with your non-dominant hand, it completely humbles you. Yeah. It's like, okay, I was there once. I didn't know how to swing a hammer yeah. once. Mm. I didn't yeah. know how to do this. Well, that's a, that's a good point. Cause I mean, there's a, in the industry, in the trades, it's a super common kind of insult to new new generations into the trades is like, you know, common sense isn't so common. Mm-mm. You know, world's full of dummies. Oh my goodness. You know, it's common sense. Come on. Like, no, no, it's not. The vast majority of what we would consider common knowledge now is built through experience. And yeah. once you have a foundation of experience that's very broad, the more and more things become common sense. Well, built on these variables, this is the obvious next conclusion. But if you don't have that information to start with, it's not common knowledge at all. So that whole common sense um, not being common, I've, I've, I've kind of stopped using that. Well, That's a, I, I quite rec- an insult, I think. I recently chatted with an instructor at George Brown University who teaches trades, and he's like, out of his 150 students, he says the basic thing is we got to teach them how to read a tape measure. You know, we mm-hmm. spend a class on that. You yeah. can't assume people know yeah. things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Wasn't that Jordan Peterson that's like teach people to write because it teaches them to think? Mm. And it's he's just this acknowledging that that that's just such a crucial part of living is critical thinking. In order to write a sentence, you have to think critically. So he's he's really he pushes just write. Yeah. He wants people to write. Yeah. Which is really interesting. But back to the dementia thing with your dad and then left-handed, was that connected? So what's is there something there? I I'm just trying to utilize different parts of my brain. Um, Got it. You know, because like your brain is working, you know, hard to figure it out. And Mm -hmm. so just, you know, if you do, if you do things you're used to all the time, it's not pushing, pushing you. So I'm like, you know, like another thing is like, I've been trying to do full splits since 2019 (laughs) and, and (laughs) I am six inches away and I can't, I can't pass that, that barrier. And it actually really bugs or straight uh, side. Side, side splits, but it actually really bugs me. I, I put in about 30 seconds a day um, in, in the morning, but I cannot get past this. Might, might be too many birthdays to achieve that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so, going to happen. <laughs> but I started out at like, I could only go down 90 degrees. Yeah. Like, right. And so I've, I've come a long way yeah. in whatever, five years or yeah. four years, but it's That's awesome. It bugs me. <laughs> so 30 seconds a day. So how much time have you spent over the last four years trying to do the splits? You haven't calculated it? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so let's kind of, now we got a bit of the backstory and a little window into how your brain works, which is fascinating. Um, let's jump back into the work side of things a little bit. So you started siding, um, doing this home renovation stuff, and that became something that you started getting jobs for, pursuing, there was growth there. What was kind of the... The history of well, that, that business developing. The the buddy of mine who started with me, we we got another job, siding a building. Like we we subbed ourselves out. Right so how did you get that one? Did you did, did people see you doing this other project that came to find you, or how did that happen? No, we were sitting at lunch. We saw an ad, and it's like siding installers, sixty dollars a square foot. What? Yeah. And we had no idea what a square was. A square is 10 by 10, so 100 square feet. So it was actually only 60 cents. And you think it's a square foot? Yeah, we're like $60. <laughs> and so we called and and uh, the guy's like, okay, come in for an interview. And my buddy's like, 
trying to explain what things on a plan is. And, and I did not understand. He kept pointing to fascia and he's like, it's a gable. I'm like, you just said that was fascia. And now you're telling me it's a gable. <laughs> and he's like, Des, tomorrow when we talk to these people, you don't talk, I'll do all yeah. the talking. <laughs> and so basically that's how we got our first job. They're like, if you think you can make it look like a million bucks, go ahead. Cause they, it was like a whole bunch of fourplexes and they had a crew on every fourplexes. And, and so that was our first job. So after that, job he said it was fall over 20 year, years ago mm-hmm. and he's like i can't do it it's too cold and i was like it's paying my bills so i mm. just kept getting jobs from that company mm. so why did you so in that at that time like why would that builder hire you guys it, was it there... wasn't a builder it was a siding company that subbed crews oh out. okay yeah gotcha and they were willing to give you a shot they needed more crews well and and we my friend and i we were entrepreneurial we hired high school kids to tear off siding ahead of us and mm-hmm. paid them nothing while we figured out how to put. Doesn't sound very good. But well, <laughs> it, it was threatened them if they didn't put the siding on. <laughs> no, no, and then we while we figured out how to put the new siding on, yeah. and and we were actually the only crew to make their deadline to make a bonus. So then, mm-hmm. then good they're incentive. like, "Hey, do you want to do more jobs?" And so I right. was like, "Okay." So then I just saved up a hundred bucks every job and bought an extra piece of equipment. I bought a ladder or you know a compressor or you know another tool yeah and did you like that growth of that business and that endeavor was that life-giving was it fun were you enjoying it like you you know your your previous endeavors and career had nothing to do with trades was this kind of this fresh new thing to try or was it this was, food on the table it was sort of not necessarily my first experience with piecework but i was like the harder i work the more i make like even on that first job, it was square footage and then we were done the building. So they're like, go help other crews. And I figured out, oh, capping windows is X amount per window. I'm just going to go at six in the morning and cap all the windows in the complex. And mm. I just made a thousand dollars or, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. it is, you know, because the other crews are too lazy to wake up in the morning. Right. And I had permission, full permission to go do it. And so that was sort of my first experience with piecework. Did you rub anybody the wrong way by being such a keener? Was that, so did some of the other crews get annoyed that you were kind of like getting the gravy stuff that you make money on or was that? No, um, I got laughed at a lot because I didn't even know how to set up a ladder. And so there'd be people sitting, having their lunch, literally laughing at us. And then one guy would be like, come by. I'm like, this is how you set up a ladder. And I didn't have poles. So they charged me like, 600 bucks for a weekend and rent their pole so I could do the mm-hmm. the sidewall because I only had a 20-foot ladder. Mm-hmm. So so they milked me for their yeah. equipment. Yeah. So it was like give and take. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you? This was, I don't know, I was like 25. Right. So you didn't start in any construction at all or siding till 25? Yeah, and I literally had no tools. Um, I went into my marriage without even a hammer. And my wife had a hammer before. <laughs> in <laughs> the junk drawer? Yeah. No, drug. and she had a tool belt, toolbox oh, nice. even before yeah. I had a toolbox. So for, for Intersect 2, uh, you said you're 45 right now, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm afraid it was a very similar age. Because that was when you were 25, I would have been 24, 25. And that was kind of the same time me starting, starting my businesses as well. It's very similar. So then you ended up having multiple crews eventually. So how what was that uh, process like? Because that was a period of over... From when you started at 25, what was the peak of the crews that you had working? How long after was that? Probably only about three or four years in because Mm -hmm. 
I only subbed for that company for a few months and then builders started noticing me mm-hmm. saying, you know, like I have a five-man crew doing my house and why did you complete your solo in a shorter time and your work looks better by yourself yeah and then yeah. and then they said come work for yeah, for us and then uh and then i knew they had more houses so i was like i'll teach people how to do it mm-hmm. train up crews and then i taught them how to start businesses their own corporations and not mm-hmm. to to make sure they keep enough money for taxes mm-hmm. and things like that and and started training crews from scratch because I wanted them doing it, you know, my way. So they were their own businesses, um, technically. Yeah. So, so you'd get the jobs and you'd take a like a cut of the the profit, yeah, basically. And then, and would, yeah. And then so being the work, basically. Yeah. Basically, I promised them never to be without work. So if there's any day they ever sat, I would pay a hundred bucks mm-hmm. a day for them to sit, just mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't go work for someone else. Yeah. And and part of the strategy too was. Um, I would loan them money to buy a trailer, mm-hmm. you know, and then every job they'd, they'd off, yeah. um, you know, pay me a certain amount to pay off the trailer. So then they kind of needed to stay with me and, and obviously I helped them out. Right. So it's like give win-win situation. Yeah. Through that four years of developing that company and building these crews, um, and how you were generous and helpful to those guys and investing in them. Were there, I imagine there's a handful of times you were taken advantage of by guys like sitting at home being paid their hundred bucks a day because they just didn't want to work or, or was it, I imagine overall it was, it was a good situation. It was very, very good because I always paid above market rate. Mm -hmm. Um, So people liked working for you. Working. Um, The only, you know, I had a couple of crews leave because they thought I, my quality standards were too high. Mm. And so I had one crew basically not building the piano. Yeah, yeah. like I quit. Yeah, you know, yeah, I can't, I can't work to your standards anymore. Yeah. It's I, I had that a, a couple of occasions with guys when I was framing, partly because we used sixteenths when we were framing, hmm. and guys are just irritated. I'm like, what the heck? We're framing like eighth, good enough. What's this sixteenths? Oh. I'm like, it's on your tape. That much more accurate. It doesn't take any more time. Like, what the heck? And they just got irritated with how meticulous we were about stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, okay, so you kind of maxed out at how many crews after your four years? Ten crews. Ten crews. Yeah. And then you started to downsize after that. So what yeah. was that process and why did you do that? Um, basically, you know, like all the people I trained were were fairly young. They were either like in college or just done college, really didn't know what to do with their career. And I'm like, well, here's a way you can make a good living for now. You know, yeah. as long as you commit to me for a year, I I will teach you how to make a good good living and so some of those crews basically went off to go on their own yeah and like to this day i know i think three of those crews i trained they're doing it for a living with their own companies and and that makes me really happy because i Mm -hmm. know that i personally had an impact in in where they are now and the one guy i remember he was a crazy fast eaves troffer and I'm like, come aside. That it's safer. Mm-hmm. That you know, you'll make you know this much more, and with your work ethic. And so now he runs a company, mm-hmm. and he runs crews now. Yeah. And it's and I actually helped him find his wife. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like yeah. I, I introduced him to yeah. to his his wife. And so it's 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 satisfying. Totally. Yeah. And that's something I can identify with too. With the guys I've had framing with me that. You know, several of them, I've hired them right out of high school. Now they've got their own companies or their lead hands on other crews and they're, they're thriving. And it's, there's a sense of pride in that. 
Um, but at the same time, you know, there's that comes with a ton of humility too, because on one hand, you're like, well, I did the best I could at the time, but you know, a few years later, I might have taught them differently and had different methods. But if you kind of build into them how to learn, mm-hmm. continue to get better too. But that's mm-hmm. that's awesome. Okay, so you started to downsize. I think you say that's going to be partly due to them then moving on to other mm-hmm. endeavors and stuff. But you could have carried on and kept bringing on crews yeah. and keep doing that. So what was the shift for you to just let it start to Because decline? I found the perfect balance for me to continue working on the tools full-time was running two to three crews while still be able to side myself. Yeah. Running 10 crews, it's impossible to yeah. side myself so all i was doing was driving 600 kilometers a week around the city um, putting out fires checking if this job's ready to make sure that my material package is there ready for you know and so all i did was shift from creating something with my own hands Mm -hmm. to paperwork right and it wasn't as satisfying though yes the profit was you know better than solo but if you count all the time might not be and and so then you lose a bit of job satisfaction there. So that's that's one of the main reasons. So for the past number of years before I completely went back to solo, because I started solo, mm-hmm. was, you know, two to three crews. Right. And then once you get down to the two or three crews where you could be on the tools, then you still ended up getting back to... So once you kind of had a balance that was working well, um, it makes me think of too, like there's a, a reality of like, as a tradesperson who's handy, you got to be careful what you're good at. You, know, you got to sell yourself for the on the things that you enjoy doing intentionally, or you get roped into all kinds of things you're not passionate about just because you can. Mm-hmm. So that's great. You kind of pare things down, get back to, you know, two or three crews. You're now be able, you're now able to get back on the tools again and enjoy your process. Um, but you still ended up going back to solo and not supervising those other crews. So what was that, that transition? The two crews I had left kind of left, kind of got complacent. And, you know, they knew my standards. So basically my rule was I don't pay out until I personally inspect it. And then, you know, like, you know, asking them to change things after it's done. And and then builders also realized sometimes builders would point out yep. the stuff um, and I'd have to get them to fix it or or I'd fix it, you know, because sometimes the crews would prefer I fix it and, and charge it back. Right. Um, yeah. And... Then I finally went to the one builder saying, hey, why don't you just give me the work that I can choose? So I, they'd let me pick all the gravy stuff Right. since I've had such a long relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I'll, I'll get rid of the other clues and I, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to keep up with all your, you know. So I, I basically got rid of a couple of builders and stuck with the one builder that I had the most history with mm-hmm. and said, I'll do all your homes personally. And they were like, yes. Right. You know, mm. and and I was able, and it forced me actually to do a lot more. Like there's some months where I'd be doing like three to four duplexes per month solo, mm. and and two story duplexes. So like, and and I didn't work weekends. I don't work weekends. Yeah. And so trying to, yeah, yeah, it it basically forced me to set higher goals right. for myself. Did you? So, and with that, were you? Were you finding ways, was it through efficiencies? Was it through, you know, like when you talk about a crew, there's a house next to you with five guys and you're on your own and you complete the house in the same amount of time. What's, what's your process? Because like in the same way we're talking, we talked about kandamas, we talked about all these things, like what were you doing that got you down into that level of efficiency? Well, kind of like the RC cars, like 
okay, the least number of motions to get something done, like minimizing stuff you hate doing, like garbage. I'm sure in framing, you're telling your guys clean as you go because you don't want to spend half an hour at the end of the day cleaning up on With the job, reason, yeah. yep. right? So then like, I'm just thinking, so I, I sort of just developed my own system, set my trick, like it, it even starts with a trailer. Mm -hmm. Like n everyone has a material package in their trailer and their equipment on top and they're having to move something once just to access the equipment on the bottom or, yep. or to access the first thing you want to do is pull siding out and it's on the bottom because it's the heaviest thing. So I set up my trailer yep. so that I never had to move anything. So minimizing the stuff I hated doing, you know, in order to actually put siding on the wall. Yeah. I would, I would have to probably carefully push back a little bit in the sense that, you know, it's not only that you are super efficient, but also that some of these other crews were just dogging it. Oh, right? mm -hmm. it's that cold mm -hmm. combination. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think of, you know, guys like I've built houses with, you know, one other helper and, and done fine, but we built much faster with an efficient crew of four or five. And so if, but it, that takes that much more management and communication to make more people work efficiently. Yeah. Um, so there's still going to be crews out there that are going to be two, three guys that are just smoking fast because they're doing, yeah. they're implying the, yeah. applying the same kind of efficiencies that you yeah. are. Um, it's interesting too, because I get the sense that as you tell that story, it was, you know, say 10 years of siding, 10 years of, of siding from when you started to maxing and then kind of tapering off 10 year, 10, oh, 15 years. Of like yeah. running crews, you mean? Yeah. Um, I think I've been solo for at least a decade. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So kind of maybe a, about a 10 year flow from going solo, maxing out, getting back to solo, yeah. something like that. So I get the sense over that span of time that there's nothing about it that was terribly negative or no. regrettable. It was just kind of the ebb and flow of what worked and then yeah. you might and change with it. Yeah. Um, so I bring that up because it's, I find it interesting that, you know, you hear from other builders and business owners, you know, some people are in it to make as much money as possible uh, for the least amount of effort as possible, don't care about quality. They just want to make cash as quick as yeah. possible. Other people, they have that thought, but they are awful with managing people. And you hear oftentimes guys like, yeah, start on my own, hire all these guys. We got big, we we're successful, but it was just nothing but a headache. I hated it. Ended up losing money. And then went back to solo and it's never been as good. You know, I can't stand working with stupid people and you never make more money working by yourself. Like, okay, that's the other end of the extreme. Yeah. But if you can actually have kind of ebb and flow and acknowledge, you know, the opportunities you have in front of you and work with people for a period of time and then it changes, there's nothing wrong with that. So it's interesting because, you know, I look at my story and, you know, at, at a period of time, I was like, maybe I'll be doing flooring for my whole career and that's totally fine. Yeah. But then an opportunity presents itself and you shift into something else and you see where it goes and you're trying to self-assess and not overcommit. Um, and there's just a, a journey that we're all on that it's not like you hit this certain yeah. level and like, I'm just staying here from now on. Like that can, that can change a lot. And one thing I want to add here is one of the main reasons I went back to solo was family. Hmm. Cause my kids, when they were young, like Kaylee, my wife was like, okay, they're not talking. They're not walking yet. Work as hard as you you know, can mm -hmm. like take advantage of that. But then as they got into um, the toddler age and in school where I wanted to be that parent that was at the school field trips to, to mm -hmm. be the volunteer parent at skating or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and it was much easier to navigate. So, you know, I didn't have to worry about putting any fires out mm -hmm. or managing anything or, you know, getting a call from the supplier saying we don't have this. 
it was like literally stress-free right? right and the big mm. a big part of that reality too as we've we've talked off camera is your level of investment and managing your money well and paying down debt and being mortgage free and all those sort of things so it's not like you were just like killing it putting siding on it's like you were really managing your your life very strategically in all these other areas too to allow that to be the case mm -hmm. a lot of guys could say well that must be nice you can just work whenever you want and go on school trips like no there's a ton of behind the scenes um self-discipline and investment taking place mm -hmm. alongside all of that um so as i was kind of looking through that uh the building of our businesses and kind of where we got and why and how and how we're wired um we were messaging earlier today as I was just trying to understand how your brain works. Because again, we are quite similar in some ways and then very different in others. Um, so we would both be kind of fall into the category of improvers, I think. When we, when we see something that we're dealing with that isn't working to a standard that we feel is adequate, it can be improved, you start tinkering with it. And then it's maybe how far you take that. Mm -hmm. You know, you start tinkering and messing with it and you just become obsessive and you it carries on and on and on um, you know that was my journey with my tool belt you know it was like I couldn't find what I was happy with I ended up trying to make my own and it's been like you know seven year your journey of getting to where we're at now and then be another seven years of carrying on and figure out how to continually mm -hmm. better it um, but to the degree that you did it you know through the previous bunch of years with modifying your RC cars and fish tanks like all this all this stuff I'm sure that's not the correct word to say <laughs> Fish tanks is probably a bit of no, an insult. That's okay. fine. Mm -hmm. um, seeing how you know your parallel business that you've you've uh, started and got involved with the siding tips, that's something I'm kind of fascinated by. So again, you're putting siding on for all these years, and you know the the thought of having a cordless nailer um, as that technology is developed, and then trying to find out ways what are the limitations of that, and it should be nice if I could do this. So, what was the uh, the catalyst for that, what was that kind of moment of realization and thought of like sorting out an issue that you were dealing with? Because as for me too, I was trying to sort out an issue I was dealing with for myself. It was no mm -hmm. business thought whatsoever. So what was that, that first? So you hit the nail on the head with the cordless piece. So for probably eight or nine years, I've been using a cordless soffit stapler. You know, when cordless crown staplers came out, I, mm -hmm. I got one and I was like, oh, this is so nice yeah. to be able to do it and another problem is in the winter your lines are never con your your airlines are never consistent mm -hmm. and so i had three siding staplers that i'd rotate mm -hmm. through especially in minus 20 to minus 40. right you know i would have That's one nice. have one warm <laughs> yeah. and and literally every half hour rotate because your depth set basically changes is that correct you kind of well they at? just like when you're lying, yeah, yeah, you don't get consistent air. So sometimes yeah. it's like, yeah. and the stapler doesn't, the staple doesn't even come out. Yeah. Just, and you turn up your pressure and you blow them through. Like it's yeah. all the, like, it's just for so, your industry, like that's so crucial, the, the depth of set of yeah. your fastener. Yeah. And, you know, because I've used siding stapler for 15 years and that hose in the winter, it has, even though you get good hoses that have no memory, they still have a bit of memory. Dragging well, hoses. Some helpful context is that you, you were siding in Edmonton and Calgary, or mostly Edmonton. Edmonton. So for people who, you know, haven't been to Edmonton or live down in the states, Edmonton is probably eight months of the year is winter, like legitimately, yeah. right? Yep. From no from October on till March, there's snow on the ground, yeah. 
and we work in Celsius here, and it, it, it'll get to consistent minus 40 Celsius throughout January, February, yeah. and it's cold. And you're out there. You were out there. Well, you guys filmed a piece on me, and yeah. your cameraman had to come <laughs> and film in, oh, I man, think it was David close. could not, have, he was, was like, close to minus his 40. legs were frozen. Yeah. His legs, he, he, just, he, just, he even had, um, like, stuff underneath his jeans. And he's like, my legs froze, man. I couldn't, I couldn't be out well, there. Well, to be fair, too. So I, I spent, you know, better part of four years framing in Edmonton. So, you know, so we were, we're, that's weird. We we're actually on the tools at the same period of time. You know, there's in like the same place? Two, yeah, because I was like yeah. 2000 to 2003, so in that realm. Um, but to be fair, like, yeah, winters are long and proper. But as far as the cold, like, we, it seemed like, you know, a cold winter, you'd get a few, few days that dipped down to minus 40. It was kind of normally, normal winter conditions, like minus 25 to minus 35 was mm -hmm. kind of the range for a couple of the months. Yeah. Like that kind of realistic. Yeah. yeah. And then like as a good winter, you're hoping the average is minus 15 degrees Celsius. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, if it was minus 15 Celsius all winter, There's I'm some happy. guys down in yeah. Texas listening to this yeah. right now that are like, <laughs> what? Yeah. And, and so back to that cordless piece, yeah. um, I was like, this soffit nailer is so nice because it's battery only, air does not affect it. It will yeah. work in the cold and not. So then every month I'd probably Google cordless vinyl siding nailer mm. cord, like for a few years straight. And Even then, just like a, a cordless uh, coil nailer. Like we could, the first ones were probably roofing nailers, right? Um, well, the DeWalt roofing nailer is the, still the only battery operated coil nailer yeah right. you know past load came out with a sheathing stapler with a siding attachment mm -hmm. but the problem is once it hit um close to freezing they didn't have a winter fuel for it so basically right. i could only cordless be cordless in the summer mm -hmm. for you know a couple of years and those staplers are so expensive and the cost of fuel for every job was like yeah. 40 to 50 bucks mm -hmm. you know just just to be able to not have a cord and so yep. as soon as that cordless nailer came out i literally went to the store and brought a piece of j channel brought a piece of siding to see if it would work mm. and fit and then i was like i think i can make this work and i bought it and and literally bent up some metal and tested it right so you made a little aluminum tip for it to yeah. kind of jerry-rig it to get it functional yeah and i'm like siding. i think i can get it to work mm -hmm. Okay, so then what's the, the next step of like the R&D and development to like now you've got this kind of janky tip on there that's working, but now you want, I want something that's going to be a little more, that's going to work a little better and be more permanent. Yeah, I, I just happened to be at a friend's house and he said, uh, get my son to help you. He can, he can draw it up in CAD and we can, we can help you. And, and basically it was just a friend's trying to help each other figure it out. And mm -hmm. I was like, sweet, if I can you know, figure this out, I'll be able to get, like basically save my 20 minutes of setup takedown time every single day. Yeah. I can just show up to work and start working right away and not really have to pack up anything, mm -hmm. have my soffit stapler, siding nailer, done. Yeah, and at what point did that, once you had a working prototype that was functional, at what point did it transition from just something for you, like, oh, other people might appreciate this? Um, as with your business, it never intended to be a business at mm -hmm. all. I was I, I shared it freely on Instagram, you know, not necessarily in detail, but I'm like, hey, I think I can get this to work. And basically enough comments on Instagram was 
saying, you should sell it. Where can I get it? And mm -hmm. I kept responding, make your own. Right. I'm like, you know, I was showing people like pieces of Lego I put together to try to make this thing work. <laughs> yeah. And, mm -hmm. and you know, a few, few people did make their own and, mm -hmm. and post about it and try it. And then, but enough comments came in that said, you should make it and sell it or patent it and sell it. And so then, um, my friend and I, we basically said, are we willing to lose, you know, a few thousand dollars each to first you hire a lawyer to see if it's patentable yep. because, you know, you can't patent anything. And so then they did the preliminary searches. It is, you know, patentable. And then, so we decided to, um, apply for the patent and worst case scenario, if we sold zero, we would be happy because we had fun doing it as friends and yep. we were trying to make something work. And that's super similar to me buying my first sewing machine. You know, to, with my wife, I'm like, what if I buy this machine? I can build myself a tool belt over a few months. Maybe I'll keep playing with it. Or I can sell it at basically what I got it for and, and not be out anything. And I have custom tool belt by the yeah. time it's all said and done. Yeah. And then given you know, what we've talked about, how you geek out and obsess over these finite, tiny details, once you start down that, that rabbit hole, you're kind of like, no, there's no end. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this thing dialed and perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and like in relation to, to the kind of work that I've done in my past as a, primarily as a framer, you know, my execution can be a little bit more crude compared to yours being these really fine, precise, uh, precision designs to make that thing function properly, and then how it's gonna work in the cold weather, mm -hmm. and and for different people um, in different climates and methods and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, then that that developed into its basically its own entity, which is the the siding tips uh, business, right? Um, so now that has a wide variety of all kinds of accessories and all kinds of awesome stuff there now too, which is just super cool. Um, so I wanted to kind of dive into uh, kind of personality type a little bit because that's a fascinating part of you know what we've touched on here with with what you've done and how you've done it. Um, and what our motivations and stuff are. So, um, like I mentioned, we're both kind of improvers. Um, didn't set out to develop businesses that have ended up where they've where they are now. Um, and that I think for both of us, to some degree, because it's, it's really easy for which we hear all the time. We get comments through social media and emails, and and people who will criticize, and they'll say, you know, you should do it this way. This is this is easy, or that's that's too expensive, and anyone could do it. I'm like, well, go ahead. Do it, you know, put your money where your mouth is and go through all that it takes to actually make it happen. There's a ton of great ideas out there that have never come to fruition because people didn't have, I think, two things, the courage to um, endeavor to try and then the humility to be willing to fail and not go anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if those two things are wrapped up in your personal value and identity, those are very scary, scary things. Um, but I know for both you and I, with our backgrounds of, of faith um, and family, there's, there's a freedom that that gives. We're like, I'm, I'm willing to try. Mm -hmm. And if I fail, it's not, it doesn't mean I'm less of a person. It's, it's part of the fun. And then you can kind of really go deep dive into it and, and have a good, good, give it a good college try and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really, really fun uh, journey. It's kind of an, an adventure you can embark on versus living your life in fear and terrified that, you know, if things don't come out, am I a failure then, you know, does that uh, nullify the legacy that I'm going to leave? If I'm going to have a legacy that's, you know, rememberable at all, that mm -hmm. word rememberable. 
memorable. <laughs> memorable. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's super fascinating kind of seeing, you know, your history of, again, kind of being obsessive about the things that you got into. And again, as we've been talking, like I, I've, uh, I looked up some definitions of some words that came to mind about you. And one of them was the thought of you being eccentric. And some people think of that as a negative, <laughs> a negative thing. But I looked at the definition and the positive sides of someone who's eccentric. Um, people tend to be original I'm thinkers. I'm worried about the negative sides. <laughs> I didn't look those up. I mean, there's a, with any characteristic type, there's going to be like a healthy um, execution yeah, of that. The balcony and the basement. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and from all external perspective, you are living on the balcony. Like there, it's the positive uh, outworkings of these these uh, personality types that I, I see all over you. Um, so an accent, you know, the positive side of being eccentric, which I'd be curious if that's a scale that you would exist on or not. Um, but people who tend to think original thinkers um, with a strong sense of self and, and less social anxiety. So whether the social anxiety thing is true or not, that's something you have to kind of keep at bay and have peace in yourself and be willing to, to try. Um, eccentric people stand out because they are more authentic and less interested in conforming to the social norms. So again, you're just willing to try something that hasn't been done before. And when we talk about, you know, how negative it is to reinvent the wheel. But if you reinvent the wheel in a, from a perspective that hasn't been looked at before, you stumble over some brand new innovative options. And that's been the case for me with the tool belts and how I've designed the bags and how they're hemmed together. And I, just, I didn't know what I was doing. So I started playing with it and I just stumbled my way along that I know now were in ways you typically would never address building bags and assembling them, but ended up stumbling away into really unique, efficient processes that worked great and were elegant and strong. Mm -hmm. um, and that seems to be the case with you, with you know, how you pursued your siding and the efficiencies that you found everywhere. And to the degree that you are meticulous about efficiency, I mean, even the first tool belt that I made you, um, you know, he, he goes and takes the, the hammer hook out and finds a titanium tent peg and rebends his own out of titanium because it's a bit lighter. Versus before my steel. or after you cut the whole one thing off. <laughs> <laughs> so and this is actually, a, a, this is, here's a good question for you. Because you're so, um, you prioritize efficiency and ease of motion, all these things so highly, why is it that you are keen on the leather tool belt um, versus um, nylon and other 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 materials because leather is not the lightest, the lightest one. It's funny that you bring up our first interaction because I I know I was kind of a terrible customer. I had this sense because I knew you, <laughs> but I also knew Luke. I think Luke, I said, I think I told you at one point, I was like, stick stick with it because he's like you. Because I yeah. think that's the part that you'll connect over. But I knew that you were going to be like, hey, a millimeter over or like, hey, Like I remember you perfect. pushing back saying it's an inch because I wanted the nailer like over a little bit and you're like it's one inch it's not gonna make a difference and i was like it makes a difference to me and i remember driving down the specific road in edmonton while you and i were talking and then you're like you know maybe uh you know this might not work and i'm like oh you know i'm expecting you to not take me as a client you know because i would do the same thing if you know and then but but we we worked it out we hugged it out yeah there's compromise on both sides and trying to find yeah. that in that middle and, ground and then at the end of the day i will tell you okay like when i got out i was like he was right i'm trying to put too much in this one tool belt but going back to leather is i told you i don't know if it was on camera or off but 
I sided with a Cooney's leather tool belt for yeah. for nine and a half years. You said, yeah, yeah, nine and a half years, and so I knew it was durable. My previous experience with nylon was, you know, all my tool belts were from the typical box stores. Yeah, the nylon literally, when I was crawling on gables, the asphalt would wear through it really quickly, mm -hmm. and so leather lasted for what I was doing. So that's why I went mm -hmm. leather first and when i ordered my first custom tool belt from you you know it was on the heavy side i, mm -hmm. I had conversations with you and then you know you taught me how to cut stuff out that that i added on that i really didn't need yeah you know and back then you didn't have your mini series yeah right it was just the, the bigger bags and so i i still got your leather belt down to about seven pounds with all my tools i carry mm -hmm. which yeah. is really good if you think about it if you own a, if you're watching and you own a nylon belt, go weigh your mm -hmm. belt fully loaded. And I'm mm -hmm. almost guaranteed you're going to be over seven pounds. Mm -hmm. So I was able to compromise on that by getting the efficiency because the custom, it was my very first custom belt. So yeah. having things where I wanted was well, way more important than, right. than dealing with, yeah. with the weight. And really quick, to be fair, this is early stages too. So Luke, you were still making bags you're making everything and so when you're trying to create a mold for something that you can repeat a hundred times a thousand times and then you've got des on the phone being like hey man move it a centimeter over you know it's like that's a conscious choice which is in part two we've never talked about this but really quick to touch on it people are always like why do you keep doing custom and i think that's comes back to luke your value around you needed the person that you are now when you were in construction, you needed that person who yep. understood you, yep. who was willing to do it. So the value to decide as a business decision, it's, it's, it's it, you know, like you could go make a thousand of something and not 10 custom things, right? Or a hundred. So it's almost like a hundred to one. Yeah. And so the decision to do it for a hundred bucks extra, like the economics, it does if you're not trying make to scale sense. a business, nope. it doesn't make sense, but it's a value. And that's the, that's the thing I love about both of you guys is like your values are, pretty central to the decisions you're making mm -hmm. uh, in everything you're doing. Yeah. So I was fascinated again with how meticulous you were with every little detail and what the motivation was, because I've had to find that middle ground and deal with customers where it's like, this is as far as I'm willing to take, take this. This is, this is the scope of what a custom build can entail. Mm -hmm. And there might be a slight upcharge if we're getting really carried away. There's a, at some point I'm like, we don't offer that. And to be okay to say no and have, you know, the odd customer be upset about that. Um, usually they're like, yeah, I was expecting you to say no, as you, as you kind of expected to some degree. But finding that, that happy medium where you can say no and it's still respectful to the customer and you're not driving your business into the ground by saying yes to something that you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's, there's a handful of, one of Zach is sitting behind one of the cameras here and uh, he and I work together a lot on the custom builds and he's taken on more and more of that, most of it now. And uh, so he knows firsthand that some custom interactions, you know, usually when people put, put, when someone puts their order in, there's a custom field and there's like a notes. We've actually limited the number of text, the, the text that people can put in now. Mm -hmm. And some people will then just like overrule that by just sending us an email as well. And here's like pages of notes. And so you're reading through that and, and, uh, and you're trying to wade through what stuff is doable, what's not. You're putting all this time and energy in. 
And then you kind of give like, you, there's a back and forth. Like we can do this and this, this won't work. And sometimes there's like 40 back and forths. Mm -hmm. Like now we've spent hours in communication. Nothing is built yet. Yeah. They could still ask for a refund and walk away. And we've just spent now a better yeah. part of a day and nothing to show for it. Yep. Right. So finding that, that happy medium um, is, is a challenge, is a challenge to do. Um, so with your development of all the things that you have made through siding tips and the the hooks and adapters and all of that. Um, what's that process been like? And how do you kind of come to terms with like how far you're going to take something? Because you always take it farther. So what is your, what sets that priority and those boundaries for you? Well, with the siding tip stuff is, is pretty easy because all the stuff that I've come up with didn't exist before. Right. So I'm like, this is, I, I can't hang my drill on my guardrail. I can't hang my nailer on the guardrail. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, from the very beginning, I have a, a hook for my hammer stapler, you know, mm -hmm. like that I made myself that yeah. people have been asking about and I'm like, just go do it yourself. But it, you know, that's not even worth it for signing tips to, mm. to develop because it's just so easy for someone to buy right. a $7 hook and some self-tapping screws. So it's with the siding tip side is pretty easy because we don't like do custom. And so it's, it's pretty easy. We just, uh. Get a lot of field testing in and decide whether mm -hmm. whether it's uh, feasible or not or worth it. So something I've observed, I've observed with of you that I, I think is quite unique is that you you function at a very high level of output, seemingly without a huge amount of structure, strict structure behind it. So just an example of that for those of you watching and listening. Um, when Des came to visit me the first time. How long ago was that now? Two, two, two years, two and a half years ago. Two and a half, two and a half years ago. Um, that was, uh, I was probably a year into working on my own fitness and, and trying to get in better shape. And, and uh, since that time, you've kind of done the same and you've got into, into running. Um, and so Des now can run and run and run. And in talking about uh, when and how long or the structure is, I find it fascinating that you're like, well, you know, there's days I just kind of decide, I'm go for a run now. I'm not sure how long I'm going to go or where I'm going to go. And we'll see. And you'll maybe I'll go for five kilometers. And you run, run like 20 something. Like that's not normal. Like for those of us at our stage of life, like for me, like I have to be super regimented. Again, we have very similar personality types, but I have to be very regimented, very strict. And I do not like getting up when I get up. There, I, I don't find joy in crawling out of bed when I do. I don't find joy in lifting weights and in exercise and in doing cardio, but I know it's good for me and I, I schedule it and I'm doing this far, I'm doing this and I like push through. And at the end of it, I'm like, there's some gratification in that. And I, I know it's good, it's good for me in the long run and it's, it's kind of mind over matter and self-discipline. And I know that's going to be true for you to a degree as well, but I do get the sense that once you're kind of open to something, it's you get a lot of joy out of it in the process or something. There's something unique about how you seem to, again, you're going to go for a run. I'll just going to run forever. And it's great. Like, what is that? And part of it is I, I am structured. Mm -hmm. Like I like routine first. Like I, my alarm is set for 620 every morning, you know, mm -hmm. like since I'm not on site all the time now, before it was like 515 mm -hmm. weekend or weekday, you know, it's like yep. 620. First thing I do is grab a coffee and then I will read. That's, you know, no question. So that's very structured and re regimented. And 
for my own family, they'll see, okay, that's a part of important to dad's, dad, yeah. dad's routine. Like, yeah. you know, Ellie will come down and I'll be at the table reading. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I just sort of, since I've structured my life the way, like, you know, working solo, I have no problem saying no to jobs I don't want to do. So I just pick and choose whatever jobs I want to do now. Wake up. Do I want to go for a run? Eh, it's minus 11 out. I should force myself to. So mm-hmm. I'll go. And then the run is dictated by lights. It's like, oh, it's a green light there. I guess I'm doing 10 oh, kilometers nice. today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's red there. I guess I'll go that way because I know kind of my, you know, Your options. Yeah. Five, seven, nine, 10 kilometer routes. Right. And, and even if I, after I run 10, I'm like, oh, I still got a lot of gas in me. I'll do another loop over there. Mm. And so that's kind of like, it seems unstructured, but, mm. but I've allowed freedom in my schedule to allow for openness, yeah. if that makes sense. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it's a kind of structure that gives you flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, which again, I, I try to do as well, but I just get the sense that, you don't hate it as much as I hate it does. Yeah, so which is interesting. As you're saying that, I'm like, I think in in all of us, it's like if you're gonna do well at anything, there's this aspect of just doing the hard thing. Mm-hmm. And both of you guys are both really good at just doing the hard thing. Um, but then I'm, I, it's interesting the psychology that you come from. It's like, what is it that makes you do the hard thing? Like, what drives you to do the hard thing? What is it that drives you to do the hard thing? I notice sometimes on your Instagram where it'd be cold out and you'd get a coffee and you'd post that, you know, you know what? It's okay to just sit in the van a little bit longer and soak up this moment, enjoy this coffee because I'm about to go do the hard thing. And some days I won't even get out of my van. I'll (laughs) sit and have a coffee for half an hour and I'm like, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going home. I'm not going to be efficient. And then next day I'll show up at six in the morning and, you know, not do twice as much, but like make up for, yeah, not but it's an aspect of knowing yourself <laughs> yeah. because it's like you knew that yeah. you're there's a commitment. You know yourself. If you're not going to be efficient to walk away, it's something that I need to get better at because I kind of I stack too much. I have too much going, and I just kind of I I just push through, you know. And some days I should just cut it early, like be done afternoon, and get that because then you rejuvenate, and then you're back at it at six the next day, and you're feeling more alive, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting too when things are are heavy and overwhelming and there's so much going on i know for me like through the development of this whole building and renovation and hiring people and bringing equipment like there's a there's just so many variables and it kind of comes down to analyzing your current situation what's the biggest barrier in the way of the most immediate thing right now Mm -hmm. focus on that deal with that and you get something done you check it off this enormous list and there's this little little hit of like oh Okay, that, that felt good. Yeah. And then the next thing. And you can then build momentum. And then you're like, you're kind of invigorated and you're, it's life-giving and you're mm-hmm. like just tearing, tearing through it and charging through these things and it's great. And other times, you know, I've had so many days where I've got that mindset, I'm like, hey, just head down, ass up, let's keep pushing forward. And then you stumble a bit. I'm like, oh, that's kind of frustrating. <laughs> okay, let's try and fix that. And that breaks. Oh, great. And then oh, something breaks down in the in the in the room or a family thing happens and you and by and the you're, day you're just you're like throwing ladders <laughs> yeah oh man so and that's another i i, I sense that that's another probably little difference there's a um so i was asking desmond we were messaging this morning and so we've both done, done different personality types in the past 
And uh, my wife gets a huge kick out of it. So I'm an Enneagram one, which it sounds like you are as well. If you haven't done this, this is a really fantastic practice to do. It's, it's kind of gives you a, a lot of insight into your own personal convictions and motivations and fears. Um, it's, it's really fascinating to do. But as an Enneagram one, I'm, I'm, I've got a really, really strong inner critic. Um, I like to improve and work on things. And then there's like, there's wings of an Enneagram. Mm -hmm. So like me as a one, I can have like a two wing or I can have uh, a nine wing, pardon me, a one, one, you have a nine or two. Yeah. Um, and those manifest themselves in different ways, whether I'm healthy or unhealthy. And, uh, I know for me, uh, I can, I can end up being, um, aggressive. I can have a short fuse and I can get, I can rage a bit. Mm -hmm. So I got to keep that at bay. And as a framer too, when you're, when you're working outside in rough construction, there's a lot of outlets where you can like, you can smash stuff, right? Like I, I, you know, with your stripping braces or pulling something apart and you've got your hammer out and you're just beating the crap out of something to pull something down, you're stripping forms. Like there's a lot of outlets for that. And I think that was probably unhealthy at times because then you get in an environment where that's not appropriate. And then you've actually got to process it and deal with it. So it's interesting as we age too, you, you kind of self-assess and self-evaluate, put yourself in new situations, and then you learn more things about yourself, which are rarely good. It's, it's really, really humbling. Very. It's, a, it's a difficult thing. Like the older I get, I feel like the less that I'm certain of and the more I'm aware I'm in need of grace. Mm. You know, it's, a, it's quite the journey. Um, the more you know, my mom used to say this, the more you know, it's a little tricky. Uh, the, the more you know, the more you know, the less you know. It's like kind of confusing. Totally. But she's yeah. like, and she was always like, the more you know, the less you know. You know, and it's like, yeah. yeah, the more you start to know, you start to know how little you yeah. know, yeah. you know? And it's like, that's the process of maturing and, 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 and humbling yourself. At the same time, when you're 20, there's a part of your brain that's like intentionally not developed. So you just do crazy things. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can drive forward. You jump off cliffs. I used to jump off anything. Now I'm like 38 and I'm like, oh, how high is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super true. I mean, the the kind of piss and vinegar I had in my early twenties and conviction and absolutes and things I stood on. Now I look back like, oh, you were so naive and mm -hmm. close-minded and self-righteous. And I still am in a variety of other ways. But being this much farther down the road, I look back and gives me compassion and understanding for other people who are going through journeys of their life where they're, they've got a ton of conviction and, and are processing things. And how do I then come alongside to be a support to them? Um, you know, I, I remember people saying things to me um, when I was younger and they were older, farther on in their years, saying things to me that I realized now were true, but they were said in these kind of derogatory looking down their nose ways. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it just like, cemented my resolve you know so how can i now invest in and communicate to a younger generation with compassion where you actually have a voice yeah right it's a it's a challenging thing to do how do you how do you process um failure and frustration and when things aren't going well it seems like i'm an outward kind of person or you know but i'm i'm really kind of a hermit i mm. I, even with social media, I did not want my face shown. I, you know, I'm like, and I, and I realized it was impossible, mm -hmm. you, you know, mm -hmm. and so I process things internally lots, mm -hmm. you know, and just sort of 
think through, think through, think through. And I do have people in my life where, you know, I have a mentor where I meet with, you know, once every week or two and, you know, sort of bounce ideas, bounce situations back and forth, you know, and I have um, peers where I meet with every week or two, you know, just to, just to process as, as well, you know, and, and these people are people in my life where they can call me out for what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's the humbling part because they care about me enough mm -hmm. to really say, oh no, you were completely wrong here. Or, yeah. you know, this is how I interpret this. And, and including my, my wife, you know, like parenting is not easy. It's like, okay. Um, you know, I realized that, you know, my wife will say, you know, she was out of line. Our daughter was out of line, but you were out of line here. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, I need to go back and, and make it right mm -hmm. with, with my daughter, you know, saying, um, you know, I'll own up to my, mm. my wrongs in this, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, that, that um, the reality of the people that we surround ourselves with and the level of access to us we give them and what we invite and will accept is, is incredibly crucial, I think, for anybody. You, having a community is so important. Um, and also trying to exist in the silence amidst such a noisy culture. You know, so I know like for you, for instance, like you're, you're listening to books like crazy as you're siding and you've got stuff going all the time. But I also know, or I'm quite certain that you have a good amount of quiet time and just being, being silent and meditation. And that's something I know for me too, that I, I try uh, to be sensitive to. And there's times if I'm driving somewhere, I'm like, you know what? My brain just won't stop. I need to turn off music, no podcast and have it be silent and just be okay in my own thoughts. And there's times if I'm riding or running, same thing. You know, I'm right. I'm going for a run or ride and my brain is just going nonstop. And I got a podcast going and I'm not hearing anything. I'm just in the midst of the noise. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I got to just like be okay with nothing and remember what's truly important and where value actually lies and kind of reestablish um, that sense of accepting kind of grace that I know I need and, and living in that peacefully versus think I got to prove myself and earn everything mm -hmm. to be okay. It's a huge shift. Part of what I love about this too is that there's a bunch of people listening that aren't their own boss. They're not, they're working for somebody else or they're 25 just started framing siding or something they're getting going and i just think you know you've got mentors and you've talked about always having mentors and what would you say to like 25 year old you now with being now in your mid 40s and i know you still got a lot of life to go but you've you've made a life out of construction like you've made uh, an incredible life out of being a siding guy and um, that's been part of stewardship of, of your, you know, your strength set, getting better, you know, uh, efficiencies, analyzing things, being committed. Um, but yeah, what would you say to your 25-year-old your self? Like, what would you say to somebody else starting out siding right now or in any kind of trade? Well, as, uh, you know, even Luke and I, we were texting back and forth. And I'm like, success can be defined in so many different ways. Mm. Right. Like people on the outside is like, okay, so and so is successful. 
and even people are like, okay, how can I get to where you are today? And I'm like, well, you don't necessarily have to try to be someone else. You know, you got to really be yourself and do what you are and push yourself out of comfort zones and, and push your own self to be better. And my number one thing in life wasn't to chase after money or, or, you know, in, in society's term of success, you know, like you guys know, I drive like rust buckets <laughs> and, and, you know, like, cause that stuff isn't important to me, but, uh, build your life's like, and that's one reason I'm self-employed is because of, like I said earlier time with, with family. So it's up to each individual, like for, I don't, I don't know if I probably talked to you off camera that like the first five years I was in construction, I was actually quite embarrassed. Even people, you know, one of the first questions anyone asks you when they first meet you is like, Oh, what do you do for a living? You know? And in my mind, I was like head down, you know, I, I install siding. Right. And it was an embarrassment. So like the one thing is like, it took me like five years to sort of not be embarrassed about being the trade. Cause like I have a degree, I'm not using it. You know what, like, what are people thinking? But like, like why? And there, that's where we were talking about imposter syndrome, yep. syndrome, right? It's like, okay. On the outside, you may seem to have it all put together. I may, you know, have it seem to have it all put together, but the reality inside, it's like, can I really, do this right so I'm, i just yeah. took one day at a time and and taking things from mentors that aren't necessarily in the trades like none of my mentors are even in construction one's a doctor you know while the other one is is a peer that i you know just bounce ideas off of and 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 really being able to take criticism and wisdom and applying it right like your parents always like you mark was saying you're mom gave you your first credit card and was like, don't spend what you don't have. This isn't free money. Instilled like early values on where the lines and the boundaries are. Yeah. And so a lot of that in life is just putting stuff like that together. And, and, you know, just like you were telling me, um, well, if you want to gain weight, stop running. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, and so like, and in my mind, the simple terms is like, well, if you want to get ahead in life, stop spending. Like don't spend what you don't have. It's it's pretty simple, but the application is the tough part, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know. So I I don't know if that really answers your question. I've, no, I think it's great. It just kind of that's what I've noticed with you. The very from the beginning when I met you, it was like you were excited about all these efficiencies in every part of your life. You're like, man, I got this credit card. And I can like go on holidays for free or because of it, I'm getting points here. I'm getting points here. But hearing those little principles, like, you know, finding a mentor, not being hard on yourself, being yourself, like trying to acknowledge how you actually function and finding things that light you up. Mm -hmm. Um, I think doing the personality test stuff is important because I think for people to know themselves is, is super important. Don't try to, get better at things that you're really bad at, consistently bad at, um, to, to an extent, yeah. because I think you should look at what you're really naturally good at and triple down on it for as long as you can. Yeah. 
and I, I've seen you do that. Like you're, you, because you know this certain part of how you work, you kind of triple down in a lane and then you go until it's complete or successful. And, and not everyone can be self-employed. No. You will, or should. You know, yeah. like you, you know, some people would be best being the best employee possible and getting ahead in life that way, as opposed to thinking, oh, I need to be like Luke and start a business. And really you hate paperwork, you hate managing staff, but but meanwhile, you succeed best at being the best you can as an employee and then your employer sees that and rewards you. Yeah. Yeah, and I think through like I've mentioned it lots on this podcast and through posts and that is like what comes back to mind for me all the time is stewardship. Um, so you're just making the best mm -hmm. and the most out of the, in, the circumstances you find yourself in. You know, be the best employee that you can be. Be the, the best version of yourself that you can be and have grace for yourself when you make a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, I think, a, a, a huge fallback um, practice all the time. It's such an easy thing to remember and to, to put into practice. Yeah, and like, you know, I've had comments recently, even the last couple of weeks, where it's like, okay, if I'm an employee, I'm just going to do the least I can, you know, mm. to, to sort of survive. And I'm like, that's, you know, in, like I, I usually don't respond to comments like that. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, why would you want to do the bare minimum, yeah. right? Like, why not push yourself to do the best you can be and invest and, in your future self? And stuff will naturally, yeah. like, you know, positive things will naturally flow from that, yeah. right? For sure. Well, that was great. I think that uh, kind of rounds things out nicely. Um, it was an honor. So glad to have you here, Des. That was a, a great chat, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again and explore some other unique parts of your personality and interests and, and uh, see what has happened uh, in the past years when we talk again next. That's great. Thanks again, Mark. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again next time.